So this morning, uh, Pastor Bob, as is his uh, favorite thing to do, he has, uh, it is that time of year, and he's taken one of his, uh, his weekends away, and he's with his son, Robbie, in the, uh, in the woods of South Carolina, hoping to find a deer. So, <laughs> it's a, so it's a, <laughs> so that is, uh, so I, it's a privilege to be able to share this with you this morning, and um, I want to introduce today's topic with a video today. Um, yeah, I, I think there are there are stories out there that are so powerful sometimes that they that they almost preach better than any words you can give. And so the the story that we're going to show that I'm going to show in a minute here, um, Matthew West, many of you know, is a singer songwriter, popular Christian artist. And a few years back, he did a project where he asked people to uh, to send in their stories. And if they spoke to him and he saw a song in the story, he would make a uh, he'd make a song out of it. And so this particular video is exactly that because this woman's story touched him so deeply that he did write a song on it. And this is the story of, of how that happens. Go ahead, James. Over the past few years, I've been on this journey of writing songs inspired by the real-life stories that people sent to me. This one story in particular has had a profound impact on me. It hit me kind of hard. It's about a woman who did the impossible, and it made me ask myself if I could do the same. Renee had four kids. Two of her daughters were twins. Megan was coming home from the beach one night with her best friend when their car was struck by a drunk driver named Eric, a 24-year-old kid. Megan lost her life. Eric killed both girls that were in the car. Renee lost her daughter in an instant. Next thing she knows, she finds herself in a courtroom watching this young man, this 24-year-old man, get sentenced to 22 years in prison. Renee wrote to me and said, I now have a mission that I never would have chosen. What she meant by that is that in the years that follow, she began to travel around to schools and churches and different functions, and she would speak about the dangers of drunk driving. But as the years progressed, she felt like something was missing from her presentations. And that's when God put it on her heart that she had not forgiven this man who took the life of her daughter. And so she reached out and did the impossible. She reached out to Eric in prison and said, I forgive you. The ripple effects of that act of forgiveness are still being felt today. That young man's life was absolutely changed because this woman forgave him. He said, I can't even forgive myself, and she forgave me. Eric said he found his eternal salvation as a result of this act. One by one, all of Renee's family members followed her lead, and they reached out and expressed forgiveness to Eric. So much so that now they describe Eric as part of their family, like a son to Renee. The story doesn't stop there though. Renee went to the courts along with her family and she was able to have Eric's sentence cut in half from 22 years to 11 years. This blew me away. The reason she did it is so that Eric could have a second chance at life and so that he could join her in their presentations. She told me that now she shares not only about the dangers of drunk driving but also about the power of forgiveness. Now this and that's you know, putting myself in those shoes, I don't you know, I don't know. 
I mean, that is, that is one of the tougher things you could ever go through. And, uh, you know, without God, you know, something like that just isn't possible. And, and so, you know, true forgiveness that holds nothing against the person who offended you is just extremely powerful. It's just amazing. And so I want to talk today and, and use a, a story here that, uh, that illustrates that, but I want to talk about forgiveness for a moment here first. But, you know, because I think it's, an, it's a topic we hear about. You know, we hear about forgiveness. We, do we know what it means? Do we know what it means to completely forgive somebody? You know, if you think about it, we don't get it modeled very well. When the opening scene of a TV show or a movie has something wrong happen to somebody, typically what happens? The rest of the story isn't about reconciliation and forgiveness. The rest of the story is about payback. We all love a good revenge movie, don't we? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean it's, a, it's, it's what our society teaches us. You know, if one of our children comes home from school with a black eye, we're more likely to say, who did that to you? Then, are you okay? Yeah, and, and our reason for the who did that to you is not. So we can go seek them out and forgive them, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not the motive there. You know, it's a, you know, vengeance comes really easy and natural to us, but forgiveness, not so much. You know, I mean, vengeance, the desire to inflict injury, harm, payback, humiliation because of something somebody has done to us. Society says to us, are you going to let them get away with that? What are you going to do about it? That's what gets said to us when something happens to us. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is letting go of resentment, indignation, anger, because of what's been done to us basically means we're letting go without asking for anything to happen to the other person. For those of us, just to show how unnatural this is, for those of us who've raised more than one child, have you ever had something happen as a conflict between the two and you look at the first one and go, tell your brother you're sorry. And then they go, sorry. And then so you look at the other one and go, now tell your brother you forgive him. We try to model that, but you know that when the sorry and the I forgive you just happened, they weren't sincere. It's like, not in our house. <laughs> Is that, that might be too much information. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's not something that comes natural to We're not born innately wanting to forgive other people. So before I start talking about what it looks like for us to forgive, I want to talk about God's forgiveness of us. God's forgiveness is without exception. There is nothing that he won't forgive us. He's forgiven all our sins, past, present, future. He does not demand punishment or restitution from us. He does not remind us of our past. He does not expect us to continue in it either. But just as a side note, his forgiveness doesn't wipe out the consequences of our bad choices either. But we're not talking about justice today, so I'll, uh, that was just a quick side note. Um, but God's forgiveness, quite simply, is, is done. It's over. He forgives us, period. It is what he does. It is his nature. So then, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is not 
related to the response we're going to get back when we forgive someone. We are to forgive someone whether they're actually repentant, whether or not they've asked for it, and there will be many times where we need to forgive people who don't even believe they've done anything wrong. I mean, Jesus modeled that on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They didn't know they were doing anything wrong. And Jesus is saying, forgive them. So I want to look at one parable when Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness. This is found in Matthew 18 and, and definitely worth the read. And uh, yeah, this is starting in verse 25. And, and I'm just going to give you the paraphrased version here. And... Uh, you know, Peter asked Jesus, he goes, how many times do I forgive my brother? Is seven enough? And Jesus goes, no, it's not. He goes, 70 times seven would be better. And, you know, it's like, I, I, my sense there was Peter was going, okay, you know, do I get an out here? I told him I forgave him, but I've done it seven times now. Am I good? And, and Jesus is saying it is continual and looks like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who is going to settle accounts with his people. First man came in, owed him a million dollars, a lot of money, didn't have the money to repay him. And so the master ordered that the man, his family, be sold and all his possessions to settle as much as possible. And the man begs and he goes, but you know, I'll make good on this. I promise I'll make good on this. Don't sell my family and don't sell everything I have. And the master took pity on him, canceled the entire debt, and let him go. So now, on his way home, this man, who'd just been forgiven a million-dollar debt, runs into a friend of his who owes him 100 bucks, and looks at him and says, you still owe me 100 bucks. And the guy goes, I'm all right now. And he literally grabs him and starts shaking. He goes, you must pay me back, and has him thrown into prison. Now, the people that had seen this knew what had just happened, that he'd been forgiven a million-dollar debt, and at the same time, watched what he just did. So they went back and told the master, and the master calls the man back in and says, what were you thinking? I canceled a larger debt for you. How come you didn't do that for your friend? How could you treat him that way? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers, had him tortured and imprisoned until he could figure out a way to pay back the original debt. Now, this is the part that hits me really hard when I read this. This is Jesus speaking. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You get that? I mean, after all we've been forgiven, it is not acceptable for us to not forgive. God says, I know your junk, and I forgive you anyway. I know all of it. Even the stuff you think you've kept hidden, I know it all, and I forgave you. How dare you not forgive someone else for what they've done to you? Based on what Jesus says here in this parable, God only does not tolerate unforgiveness. He punishes it. So I think God takes a serious view of whether or not we forgive people. Now, I've heard some horrific stories, none quite as bad as the video, I don't think, of people, of things that have been done to people. And the response are, you're asking me to forgive them? You don't have any idea what they did to me. Well, 
at the risk of sounding cold and heartless, it doesn't matter. It does not matter what they did to you. Okay? Forgiveness is what is necessary no matter what the offense. You, know, you probably heard the old saying that says holding on to anger or resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, I mean, we take this on thinking somehow in us holding on to this and fretting over it and being angry and we think we're somehow affecting that other person who probably doesn't care anymore. So the only person we're then hurting is ourselves. So forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you. It's for your benefit. You know, a couple weeks ago, when, Bob, when Pastor Bob was talking about the promises that are in front of us as a church and we get promises from God sometimes, he used a couple of biblical examples. One of the ones he used was the story of Joseph, who was given a couple of dreams as a young man that his family would bow down to him. And in his cockiness, he kind of told them and didn't go over very well. But I, I want to look at that story not because of the promises of what God gave him, but I want to look at the story from the perspective of when we get to the end of that and Joseph is reunited with his family, what forgiveness looks like in that. And I, I want to encourage you, by the way, if you guys you know, really like this topic, like anybody really likes forgiveness, uh, <laughs> um, there's a there's a, a preacher by the name of R.T. Kendall. If you could, you know, you can um, YouTube a, a sermon on his total forgiveness there, and he goes, he is really, really deep and really powerful. So if you if you do like more of that subject, I, I encourage you to do that. But um, really, don't have time to go the entire story because it starts like in chapter 37 of Genesis and goes all the way to like 45. So if we read the whole thing, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't have lunch today. And, uh, and I know what church people are like without lunch. So, <laughs> so, um, so I'll just recap the early portion of the story. Joseph was his fa father's favorite son. He was the 11th of 12 kids. I mentioned the dreams that he had that told him, that God told him he was going to have his family literally bowing down to him. Well, because that didn't go, where, go over well with his brothers especially, they sold him into slavery. And after becoming a slave, he was, you know, God even gave him favor as a slave. He rose up and became the head slave in a, in a household, then was wrongly accused of something and got thrown in prison. God gave him favor in prison again, so he rode, rose up to be well-respected in there, interpreted a couple of dreams of a, of a couple of the, the, the leader's men in there, and in interpreting those dreams, said, hey, don't forget about me. And uh, they did. Um, and so, but a few years down the road, Pharaoh has a dream that he doesn't understand. And so he asks, you know, I need to know this dream. And then finally, the cupbearer, who was the one in prison with, uh, with Joseph at the time, finally remembers, oh, yeah, there was this guy that interpreted my dream. And so he calls for Joseph. Joseph comes out and interprets Pharaoh's dream and tells him that his dream means that there's going to be seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. And so you know, what God is sharing that with him as the leader of the country is for him to be able to prepare during the seven years of abundance so that they can be able to survive the seven years of famine. So that was like four and a half chapters caught up in 12 seconds. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's where we are right now. And the end of Genesis 41 
tells us the entire world was coming to buy food, and chapter 42 tells us that Joseph's brothers have now come to Egypt to buy grain. Now, none of them have any idea what's happened to him, and most of them have assumed he's dead. Their father's been told he's dead. So they aren't expecting to see him and don't recognize him. So um, Joseph recognizes them, but, doesn't, but isn't quite ready to acknowledge who he is. So he continues to speak through an interpreter. He trades with them, gives them the grain, and actually gives them what they brought to pay for the grain back, which scares them because they get on the road, find their stuff, and are like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And so, but he tells them they can't come back unless they bring the youngest brother, Benjamin, the, the 12th in the family, who didn't happen to come with him the first time because he'd stayed with his dad. So they tell him he has, they have to come back. And the brothers, being fearful, don't really want to because, you know, it's like there was something that they were scared. You know, they were intimidated by this man. They were just common shepherds. And, you know, this guy was the head man and they were dealing with him and didn't like the negotiations very well so they come back they bring Benjamin because they don't have any other choice and this time Joseph sends them all to his house and messes with their heads by seating them all in order of age they say he's messing with them uh, and, and, but then still doesn't reveal who he is puts their stuff back in their bags and sends them out again and then forces them to come back because he put something in there that was his and sent people back to say, you know, are you going to steal from this guy? And so it's like, really? You know, you got to wonder here at this time, what is Joseph doing to these guys? So he hasn't revealed who he is, but he forces them to come back. And so now we're all the way to Genesis 45. This is G Joseph making himself known. And this is the focal point of where we're going to be from here forward. Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Listen, this. His brothers were not able to answer because they were too scared. It says, because they were terrified at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Are you scared already? Is that really something you want to do? <laughs> he said, uh, and he says, when they have done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. That doesn't help me either, does it? Uh, and then he says, and now, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years, there's been famine in this land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve to you a rem for you a remnant on the earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. Well, they might feel a little better now. Okay? And he says, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, grandchildren, flocks and herds, all that you have. I will provide for you because five more years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Think for a moment how you might have handled this. You've spent, as 
as Pastor Bob shared a couple weeks ago, this is 20 plus years for this promise of his brothers coming to him and bowing before him. Now, I don't know if over the course of those 20 years, if he replayed that promise in his mind and decided how he was going to handle it or not. But here are the people that sold you into slavery, forced you to be a slave, you ended up in prison because of it, and now they're in front of you and you have the power. You're in charge, you can do whatever you want. Now, as you're thinking about what you might do there, ask yourself, what did Joseph do? The very first thing he did was send everybody away. Why do you suppose he did that? I think it's because he knows if they were, if anybody else was around, when the story came out of what happened, his brothers would have been punished because of how highly Joseph was esteemed. When they found out what had been done to him, they would have demanded restitution. They would have expected something to happen in that time. They, at the very least, would have been dishonored. Now think about something interesting here. Because of, of the way you read this and the way the story goes, I, it, I think it's fair to assume that over the course of this 20-plus years, Joseph did not tell this story to anybody. His time as a slave, his time in, uh, as in Potiphar's house, his time in jail, he didn't sit around telling, well, those blankety-blank brothers of mine, if it hadn't been for them, I wouldn't be in this predicament. It doesn't, you know, as you read the way this story lays out here, it doesn't seem like he told that story and repeated it and told people how miserable his family was. You would not believe the dysfunction I came out of, because I don't think dysfunction was a word back then. I give it here. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, and that's one of the first signs that we're going to work through here that you have forgiven somebody is that we'll, you will not tell others what has been done to you. I will not tell other people what's been done to me. The exception to that is if you've got a, a close counselor, somebody that's praying with you, that you know it's, you know it's in that setting where they're going to walk you through it, and they're not going to share it, and you're not going to put it on Facebook, and you know it's. A, it's a, um, but you know, the, remember, you're not. If you really truly are forgiven something, you're not going to tell their story. And the brothers here, as we talked about as we read through the scripture there, were fearful when they, they were fearful of the position Joseph held to start with, and then when he goes, I am your brother, what do you think rose up in them next? I mean, it's like, I mean, I heard a couple uh-ohs, that's exactly, and probably worse than that. I, you know, I don't know if they swore back then, but they may have. Um, and, you know, but Joseph tells them as he reveals to them, he says, do not be scared. Do not be distressed. Don't be angry. Don't worry about this. God used this. You know, I don't hold anything against you. You know, if you, if you look at that, then that piece means that you don't want people, if you've forgiven them, you don't want them to be fearful of you while they're in your presence. I don't want this person to be afraid of me. I don't want them to be uncomfortable when they walk into the room and I'm there so they feel like they have to leave. If you've forgiven them, you don't want that for yourself. See? Joseph also does not want them to feel guilty. Have you ever intentionally let someone stew over what they did to you 
just so they feel guilty a little while longer. You know, just let them sit in a little while and you're going, I should go talk to them, but I'm going to let them think about that for a few more minutes. It's it's that, uh, you know, Joseph, you know, right after he revealed to us, he goes, don't be, you know, I don't want you feeling guilty over this. God did this to save lives. He didn't do this to punish me. You guys didn't do anything here. So forgiveness lets people off the hook. So with this, Joseph's well-respected. He could have held a press conference, invited all the TV crews. I'm modernizing this, of course. (laughs) And and said, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you the story of what happened starting over 20 years ago and had his brothers paraded up next to him on the thing and said, I, Joseph, have forgiven all of these men. Okay, he could have done that. And what would have been the outcome of that? The people would have gone, Joseph, Joseph, he's our man, right? Look at what he did, look what was done to him and look at what he did. But how would they have looked at the brothers? Low-life scum, what are you doing even sharing a stage with them? That would have been the opinion of the people. So, you know, there was nothing to be gained if you're forgiven about telling the story, even after the fact and calling it your testimony. Okay, you hear me there? If it makes somebody else look bad as you're sharing it, you haven't forgiven them. He allowed them to save face in the situation, which is one of your other lines of there. I will always allow somebody to save face, and I will not share their dark secrets with others. I will let them save face. I won't share what they've done. And even when he gives specific instructions and says, this is what you tell dad when you go back, he didn't even bring up what had happened. He said, tell him, tell him to come. I got land for you guys. It's gonna, I'm going to take care of you. There's famine for five more years, and I got your back. That's the story. He says, tell them, I am alive, and I got you covered. So you know, even with that, fast forward a couple chapters later to, to chapter 50, and dad dies. And again, for whatever reason, even after all they've been through and all that Joseph has done for them, they become scared again. And they actually create this story, and they go to Joseph, and they say, actually amongst themselves, first of all, they say, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back now? And so they make up this story to jo- and Joseph and say, your father left these instructions when he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph. Please forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. <laughs> Come on, you know, I mean, that's the, uh, it's like, and when the message came to him, Joseph's response was he wept. Because he knew that he had already forgiven them and that they didn't really get it. Brothers came and threw themselves down before him and said, we are your slaves. And Joseph said, don't be afraid. I'm not in the place of God. Remember I told you, you intended to harm me, but God did this for good. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your family. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So true forgiveness 
is a lifetime commitment. It doesn't change with changing circumstances. It doesn't have time limitations. True forgiveness lasts forever. And the last measure here, which you see throughout this that Joseph is doing, is if you have forgiven something, somebody, you will bless them. Okay? He blessed them even from the moment he met them. He sent the silver that they brought to buy the grain. He sent it back with them. He did that the second time too. And then he said, come, I'll provide for you. I have land for you that's the best of the land. I will take care of you. He blessed them the entire time. So that's the... That's the seventh item here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list those seven in order that, uh, it, in case you missed any along the way, and then we'll come back to them at ministry time a little bit. But I won't tell what they did. I won't let them be afraid of me. I won't let them feel guilty. I will let them save face. I will protect them from their secrets. I accept this as a lifetime commitment, and I will bless them. Okay? Like I said, we're going to come back to that in a minute, but I want to cover one other thing before we, before we wrap up, and that's, suppose we have done the offending. So we're not in the place where we need to forgive, but we need to ask forgiveness. What's our job there? Well, number one, own up. Don't blame somebody else. Don't push it off and say, if it hadn't been for so-and-so, this would have never happened. Okay, the dog didn't eat your homework. You didn't do it, okay? Own up to your own stuff. Number two, seek forgiveness when we recognize we've been in the wrong. Romans 12, 18 tells us, whenever possible, live at peace with one another. Live at peace. That's your responsibility. Whenever possible, live at peace. Now, then make a personal commitment to not repeat or continue that action. This is true in our relationship with God. When we sin, God doesn't expect us to continue in that sin. He wants us to not repeat and continue that action the same way that he took the woman that had been caught in adultery and he said to her, go and sin no more. He said, yes, you were busted. Yes, I forgave you. Now, don't do it again. Okay. So then the, the other thing in there is you take the initiative. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, If you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, go and be reconciled, then come back and offer your gift. It says, if we know somebody has something against us, not that somebody's wronged us, but if we know that somebody has something, they're mad at us, they think we've wronged them in some way, we need to go deal with it and deal with it now, and it's our job to take that first step. That's not always easy. I would suggest bathing it in prayer. I mean, you know, pray to make sure your heart is, is right as you go into a situation like that. Make sure, you know, that... That you, have, that you are doing it in a healthy manner, but it is our responsibility to take that step. So what happens, because typically when we've got forgiveness, that means there are two people at least involved, somebody that's been wronged and somebody that's done the wrong. What happens if either one of them doesn't embrace their job in this relationship here? 
Well, let's look first of all at our relationship with the Father. If we've sinned, if we've wronged God, is he ever going to misbehave? Nah. He's already forgiven us of all that. So our only job in there is to accept that forgiveness because it's already been given. If for whatever reason we, we can't forgive ourselves or justify somehow why we've done wrong, it's going to hinder our relationship. It is not going to be what it could be. We are not going to walk out in the fullness of all that God has intended for us if we do that. So that's, our, that's as far as our relationship with God. And the other half of that that I was talking about a minute ago is he doesn't expect us to continue forward in that action any longer, as, a, as you've probably heard in a, in a message here before. He expects us to repent. And all that word repent means is to change your mind, renew your mind, think differently about something. So when you've done something wrong, recognize that you've done something wrong, and then you look at it and go, wow, I should have never done that, and you see the situation differently, then you're not going to go back and repeat that. Okay? So that's, the, that's what repenting means in that. So if we hurt someone and they forgive us, it is important that we recognize what's in us that caused us to do that in the first place. We all have our own broken places in us. And usually when we've wronged somebody, one of those shines very brightly, unfortunately. That's when we have the opportunity to go before God, and if you, if you need to, to go before a brother and sister that you can trust with the situation and say, pray for me, I messed up in a, such a major way, and I really need to get right before God again here. Can you pray with me? You know, that's what, we need to do that in our place. So, and if we ask God, He'll point that out, and he'll heal it. He wants us to have freedom. He, wa- he doesn't want us to live in bondage. Freedom is his goal here. So I want to touch on one other thing here with this, is does forgiveness mean that you let people back into the same place of trust and relationship that they had beforehand? Okay? Because there's, you know, I've heard people argue around all sides of this, and I'm going to give you my perspective. If every time I walk up to Jim, and Jim would never do this, so that's why I can use him as a picture. Every time I walk up to Jim, he pokes me in the eye. I can forgive him for poking me in the eye. I can walk up to him a second time. He can poke me in the eye again. And I can forgive him again. But guess how long it's going to take before I stop, stop walking up to Jim? Not very long. I like my eyes. Okay. Now, as ridiculous as that example is, because Jim would never poke anybody in the eye, <laughs> as ridiculous as that is, we've given counsel to, well, you know, their family, so you really need, after you forgive them, you need to welcome them back in because family's all you've got. Well, there are times when boundaries are extremely important. Okay? If we forgive and we've got clean slate now, we do not have to put ourselves in the position to be wronged again. That's where boundaries come in, and they're healthy boundaries. It doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean we don't care about them. We just say, hey, until you stop poking them in the eye, I'm not coming around anymore. Okay? When you realize what it is that causes you to poke me in the eye, guess what? I'll come back. But we have to be able to, you know, nowhere in Scripture does it take, tell us that we have to be doormats. We have to be walked on, that, we, that it is okay for us to be abused. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. Does that make sense okay? Okay, good. 
to see if anyone was paying attention or not. So, so. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I do, as I said, the goal here is, and we're going to head into ministry time in just a minute here, and I'm going to ask Marianne to share a word that, she, that God gave her this morning in just a second here, is the goal here is for all of us to walk into freedom. And, and Marianne had no idea what I was preaching on today and, what, and where uh, ministry time was headed. She handed me this word before the service started, so I'm going to have her come up and read it in just a minute here. But the goal here is freedom, okay? Because unforgiveness, resentment, anger is bondage. Okay? It ties us up, messes with us, keeps us from enjoying the fullness of God. Okay? God desires us to be free. Okay? So what I'm going to ask you to do in just a second, and we're going to walk through this in a minute here, is as you look at those seven items that I listed on there, if you have a situation in your mind that came in your mind when I said one of those and go, you know what, I haven't really forgiven somebody in this situation, then we're going to deal with that in a minute because God wants you to be free. Forgiveness isn't easy, but it's necessary. Okay? So Mary, I want you to come on up and have you read this here. Good morning. Today was a wonderful day because I got up early and I got to have my quiet time on my bench. And the, usually I hear one sentence, and it was, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then here's the rest of what I heard. Do you feel tied down today? Like you have a 100-pound backpack you carry around 24 hours a day? No, this is not my plan for you. My plan for you is that you, you truly know me. Because in me, there is freedom. In me, there is peace. In me, there is harmony. Know that you are worthy of love and joy and peace. They are my gifts to you. You are precious to me, and I want you to live life in my fullness. I want you to know truth, the truth of who I am, the truth of who you are, the truth that my love for you is so constant and so true. In me, there is also wisdom. You need to navigate this life. Come to me today. Let me deposit my truth in you. Feel the freedom of life with me today. Thank you, Marianne. Yeah, and that's, you know, as, I, as she handed that to me this morning and I read that, it says, do you feel tied down like you have a 100-pound backpack you carry around 24 hours a day? No, that is not my plan for you. I don't think what I had written here that said at ministry time did as good a job as this did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it is, that's what unforgiveness does, is it makes us feel like we're carrying weight with us everywhere we go. Now, 
I am not going to ask the ministry team to come forward today because uh, you know, I just, I, this is going to be between you and God. So in, in just a minute, I'm going to ask um, anybody that feels like there's somebody, there's a situation or a person in their life that they need to forgive. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to share. We're not even going to ask you to talk to anybody about it. What I am going to do is ask you to stand, and anybody that's standing, we're going to walk through those seven items together and, and make our commitment to God that we, are going, that we are continually going to be forgiving this person. Because sometimes, you know, one of the ones in there was, I accept this as a lifetime commitment. Some of the people that we've forgiven in the past give us reason to have to forgive them again, and again, and again, and again. It happens. And so that is, uh, you know, it is a lifetime commitment, but it's also a, a conscious choice in the moment that, that has to be done there. So what I'm going to ask you to do, though, is there's something about when we do something that shows to God that we're serious about something. There's, there's something that happens in the spirit when we do that. So if, if, you, if any of you have a situation or an individual mind that you feel like you haven't forgiven, I'm just going to ask you to stand right where you are, and then we're going to walk through these things. And uh, I said, don't be, you know, don't be embarrassed if there is something, because I, I do believe that, you know, with a group this size, there's at least one person who uh, has struggled with forgiving somebody else. So just go ahead, like I said, just stand right where you are. If you, if you have someone that you want to forgive the rest of the way that you haven't yet. Like I said, this is between you and God. And so I just, uh, if, I, I'm going to give another just a couple of seconds here before, before I start walking through this because, you know, 